The following message is brought to you by Morgan Hill Bible Church. For all things MHBC, connect with us on social media and check us out online at mhbible.org. Good morning, church family. Good morning. So good to be here to worship alongside with you this morning. Hey, before we jump into the sermon this morning, I wanted to, to point something to your attention. As, um, as you saw, hopefully you received the worship guide when you arrived this morning. We try and provide financial updates every month or so with you. And I just wanted to say thank you. Um, if you look at this, and if you look at just the last month, we have a high budget month to end the year, December of 2021. And if you look at it, you're reading it correctly, that you gave 40, over 40000 more than what we had budgeted for just in the month of December. So I just want to say thank you so much. We're, we're halfway through. Our fiscal year starts July 1 here at the church, so we're halfway through. And I am so encouraged and thankful for your, your generosity and your faithfulness in giving. And I want to make sure you realize that it's more than just to keep the lights on here, but your giving has an impact not only here, but in the surrounding area, allowing us to partner with places like Informed Choices, but around the world. I had lunch this week with a missionary from our church who's been a Morgan Hill Bible Church missionary for 25 years. And your giving has been a part of many churches being planted of literally thousands of people hearing the gospel because of the faithfulness of this church and your, your giving. So thank you for that. And we're looking forward to what God's going to do in this coming year as we continue to be faithful with what he's blessed us with. Let me pray for us before we dive into our sermon for today. God, we do thank you for all the blessings that we have in Jesus. God, and I pray that as we, we open your word this morning, God, that your spirit would be present in our hearts and in our minds. God, would we respond in obedience to whatever you would have for us today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. One of the things that, that I do almost every day when I get home from church in the afternoons is I will normally take our daughter, if you haven't met Ari, she's a little over a year and a half, a toddler, and I will take her and we will walk to get the mail together. The mailbox is about five or six houses down. It's kind of at the beginning of the subdivision where we live. And the thing that I've been working on with Ari the last month or so is walking on the sidewalk. Right, The street looks so enticing, so do the neighbors' yards, but we're trying to walk on the sidewalk. And sometimes it goes really well, right? I'll just have to grab her a couple times and, and get her back on the path, right? And she does really well. And then there's other times, especially when we were first starting this, that ended with her laying on the ground, kicking and screaming because I would not let her run into the street in front of the cars that were coming. I'm such a horrible parent, I know. I'm like, I'm sorry, kid, you want to run that way, but I'm not going to let you. Right? She understands, right? She knows, she, she, she gets enough that what I'm trying to help her do to obey is to stay on the sidewalk, but she always wants, right, to go somewhere else, to try to push the boundaries, to do this and to do that. And I think oftentimes in our lives, the same is true of us with obedience. And when it comes to following God, I think most of the time, we have an idea of what God wants us to do, but we, we want to try our own thing. We want to go this way. We want to see what it's like over here, and we want to veer off the path that God would have for us. And this morning, we're going to talk about obedience and some of the challenges, but, but some of the blessings and opportunities that come from obedience as we dive in to our new series, Looking at the Life of Abraham. 
If you have your Bibles, would you open them with us this morning? We're going to start in Genesis chapter 11. If you're new, Genesis is the first book in your Bible. So if you have an app or, or a Bible, it's the very first book, Genesis chapter 11 starting at verse 27. We're gonna be going through the life of Abraham for the next month or two, a couple months together. And I would propose to you that Abraham is possibly the second most influential person in history. In history, how God uses him and the impact that he has had on our world. In chapter 11, it kind of gives us some background before we narrow the focus on Abram's life specifically in chapter 12. So let's jump in. Chapter 11, verse 27 says this. Now, these are the generations of Terah. Terah fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran, and Haran fathered Lot. Haran died in the presence of his father Terah in the land of his kindred in Ur of the Chaldeans. And Abraham and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife, Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah and Iscah. Now Sarai was barren, she had no children. Terah took Abram, his son, and Lot, the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai, his daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife, and they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. The days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. So this is some background context that helps us set up the story for the life of Abram. It starts with this phrase, now these are the generations of Terah. In the book of Genesis, this is how the stories are divided. Every time you see that phrase, now these are the generation, it signals a shift to a focus on a new person. And we were introduced first to Terah, who has three sons, right? Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And then we start to see their families line from them, right? Haran, even though he has passed away, fathers. And we hear of, of Nahor marrying and insinuating he has kids. And then in verse 30, when it talks about Abram and his wife, Sarah, it says this, now Sarah was barren. And just in case you miss it, she had no children, now, the, the author is using this twice, not just to point out something obvious, but to start to highlight something. It's as if he's saying, now, Sarah is the weak link. This thing that, that you notice here is going to come up a lot over the next several weeks. The fact that Sarah does not have children and cannot have kids as we go through the story. And so we have this first journey. They start in Ur of the Chaldeans and it says that um, Terah took Abram and Lot and they go together to the land of Haran. If you're like me, I'm a visual person. So there's a map of approximately where this would be in the Middle East, Ur of the Chaldeans going up from the Euphrates and Tigris River towards Haran, an approximately 600 mile journey. This isn't like go up to San Jose. This is like grab everything and go to Utah. All right, go, go to Haran. And so they go a 600-mile journey. And it says there that, that they settle there. Ur and Haran were two of the three major urban areas in Mesopotamia in the ancient world. But it says that there in verse 31, and they settled there in Haran. Now, this isn't necessarily a huge like red flag or anything, but if we had read all of chapter 11, chapter 11 starts with the Tower of Babel. The Tower of Babel, which is, you know, is a bad thing. This was not a good thing. And in chapter 11, verse 2, rather than going and filling the earth as God had commanded the people, it says they went to Babel and they settled there. The same exact word. So you kind of read this and you're like, this probably isn't a great thing. This isn't what God wants. They settled there because they just did this earlier in the chapter and it didn't work out too well. 
And now the focus goes from Terah and he has now passed and it starts to narrow in even more to one man and his family. The man's name is Abram. Chapter 12, verse one. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the lands that I will show you. We're gonna look this morning at three characteristics of obedience, three characteristics of obedience. And the first is this, is that obedience calls us into the unknown. Obedience often to God calls us in our lives into the unknown. I love this. Now, now God says to Abram, all right, go from your country that literally is your land. Go from your land and your kindred and your father's house where he has established himself to this land that I will show you. Can you imagine the conversation, Abram, with Sarai at this point? Honey, we got to pack up everything. All right, where are we going? I don't really know. When are we going to find out? Don't know that either. We'll figure it out on the way. God will tell us. Right now, I don't know about you, but I am a planner in life, right? Like I love to plan because then at least if your plans go wrong, you can make new plans, right? But I always have a plan in mind, right? And, and Kristen and I, in a lot of our life, we love to plan kind of trips together. And I love planning trips. This is where like the planner in me comes out. Now, some people, when they schedule a vacation, they're like, all right, we got the hotel. We'll figure out the rest when we get there. I don't know how you exist. Like, what do you do with Like, that's just crazy to me. When we go on vacation, Kristen like, like thinks this about me. She thinks I'm crazy, right? We have, uh, we have meaning me, right? We have spreadsheets, of information. We have custom maps at places. We have times knowing when we need to leave where we're staying to get to where the trails we want to hike to get to the top in order to watch the sunrise before anyone else gets there. We have detailed information and plans according to all of the things. And sometimes when God calls us to obey, we want the spreadsheet. We're like, God, give me the flow chart. All right, God, okay, this is what you asked. Now let me see, this is what's gonna happen if I do it. And let me see what's gonna happen if I don't do it. So then I can make my decision based on all of the consequences because you're gonna tell me all the specific details of how this is going to work out. And God says, no, I'm not gonna tell you all of that information. I'm not gonna give you all of the details of the story and how it will look. I want you to obey me. See, so often we delay obedience in the future because we don't understand what God is asking us to do in the present. It scares us because we don't understand. We can't envision. We, it doesn't compute with us. We don't know. It's uncertain. And so that paralyzes and it freezes us in the present from walking in what God would have for us. See, lest you think that God actually did kind of whisper in Abram's ear where he was going, and the author here is being dramatic. The book of Hebrews, in looking back at Abraham's life, says this in Hebrews 11:8. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. He went out not knowing where he was going. And so often we disobey God. Not because we don't know what to do, but because we don't know the outcome of our, our obedience will lead to. It's not that we don't know what to do, but we don't know what will happen if we follow God. We don't know what will happen if we obey God. See, we, each and every one of us, I think, are experts 
at postponing obedience to God in our own lives. Have you ever realized this? You know who's the best person to lie to you? You are. You are really good at lying to you. You can rationalize almost anything away in your head. And we can rationalize our disobedience and our sin in our lives. And we don't need someone else to do it for us because we're so good at doing it ourselves, right? And we delay obedience to God. But I just wanna remind you this morning of this, delayed obedience to God is disobedience today. Delayed obedience to God is disobedience today. Saying, well, one day I'll get to that. One day I'll do that. But for today, this is what I need to do. That is actually living in disobedience, even if we are uncertain as to where God would call us. See, a few weeks ago, Anthony talked about the importance of reconciliation in our lives. And maybe you're like, yes, that's a great concept. I understand it. But when I make that phone call, when I go over to their house and knock on the door, I have no idea how they'll respond to me. And so I'm just going to wait. I'm just not going to do it because it's an unknown. If I put myself out there, I have no idea how it will be received back. Last week, Ricky talked about this idea of walking in humility, of giving of ourselves with no expectation of anything in return. And I'm like, yeah, that sounds great. But you know what? I already made my New Year's resolution. Now we'll wait till next year, 2023. That sounds like next year, that's a good time to start giving of ourselves next year. You know, as, as I've counseled people, and I know a lot of pastors who have counseled people for decades, I've heard that one of the most common excuses when it comes to the sin of pornography in people's lives is that, well, in, the next, in, in this next season of life is when I'll deal with it. If you're single, you're like, well, when I'm married, that's when I deal with it. If you're young and with kids, you're like, well, it's just so busy now in this next season. And we, we can allow and we can excuse disobedience in our head for years because we're saying, well, I'll deal with it later. We excuse, and it's so easy to do this. I know I've been tempted to, and if it seasons done this in my own life when it comes to our money, right? God calls us to be generous, he calls us to give, to be good stewards of what he has given us. And it's really easy when, when you hear someone like me say, be generous with your money. This is what God wants for you to be like, yeah, but have you seen the market? Do you know how expensive it is to live here? Right? It's, it's easy, right, to have good excuses to rationalize ourselves. You know, I was thinking of it this last week. There's been seasons in my life where I've said, you know, in this next season is when I'll start to give generously. And I realized that, that I just kept making new excuses, right? My wife and I, we've moved here. We're saving for a house. From a human perspective, what would you tell me to save all of the cash you can, right? It's expensive and it's only going up. Don't give anything away. Save everything you can. It makes no human sense, but I know in my heart that if I don't start doing it now, that what happens when I buy a house? More home improvement projects come, this comes, this comes, and I'm 10, 20 years down the road saying in the future I'll obey while living in disobedience in the present because that's who I am. And that's who all of us are, is we rationalize our disobedience saying in the future, I'll take care of it. See, we may not know what happens in the future, but I wanna encourage you to follow God and what he's called you to today regardless of whether you know, regardless of whether you can see the outcome or not. If it's places where it's a total leap of faith, still walk in obedience to what he has called you to. 
So he makes this call. It calls us into the unknown. Again, let's read starting at verse one. Go, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the lands that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. The second characteristic of obedience is that obedience is motivated by God's promises. Obedience is motivated by God's promises. God just doesn't call Abraham to obedience. He gives him amazing promises that Abraham has to hold on to as he walks and he journeys into this unknown place of obedience, this life of faith that God has called him to. God gives him these promises, the things to hold on to because we all need the promises of God to hold on to as we journey through this life and the unknowns that it takes us to. See, this is amazing. This call that God gives to Abraham seems to come out of nowhere, right? If you read Genesis 1 to 11, it's not like you're like, oh yeah, Abraham, he foreshadowed before, of course. Now, no, you, you, and if you read this, you should ask the question, why did God choose Abram? What, what, why did God choose Abram? Is it because Abram was more righteous than anyone else? It's because he had more talent to offer God than anyone else because he worshiped God before when no one else did? The answer is no. No, in fact, we know that Abram, before God called him, did not worship this God. He did not worship the God of the Bible. In Joshua chapter 24, looking back over the history of Israel, it says this, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, long ago, your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, Terah, the father of Abraham and Nahor, and they served other gods. Ur and Haran were centers of the moon god worship. Abram was not a follower of Yahweh before God called him. So why? Did God choose him? The same reason he chooses any of us. His grace. Nothing more, nothing less. Not because Abram was deserving, not because we are deserving, but because of the overflow of grace in his life that he chose to call and to use Abram. And he calls him out and he makes him these promises here in in verses one through three. Extraordinary promises. There are really, as, and we'll walk through these briefly, there's really three main themes in these promises to Abraham that I want to make sure we understand because we're going to talk about this probably every week for the next couple of months, all right? The main three themes that, that are in these promises that he makes to him are the themes of land, of seed, and of blessing, all right? Land, seed, and blessing. The entire story of Abraham the entire book of Genesis and really probably the rest of the first five books of your Bible are focused on how God will fulfill this promised Abraham for these three things. God promised this and now it's like, okay, how is God going to do this? The first is this land, right? Which we already looked at in, in verse one, a land that God will show. And so much of this journey is about Abraham finding and being in the promised land. The second is seed or or offspring coming from him. Verse two says, I will make of you a great nation, a great nation. But we've already realized, like, what's the problem here? Sarai is barren. She has no kids. We're like, okay, that's an interesting person to choose, God. Right? Like you kind of put yourself behind the able. Well, what are you you doing here? This This is not how it should be. 
And the hint is, as we've looked at the book of Genesis, and we're gonna see this flowing through, is one of the first promises as sin entered the world that God made to the woman in Genesis chapter three is that through your seed, through your offspring, one will come who will crush the serpent. And now we start to see flesh out in Genesis and how this will come about, that it will be from the line of Abraham, that from him will come a great nation. This third theme is the theme of blessing. Of blessing, it says there in verse two, I will bless you and I will make your name great. This is in direct contrast to the chapter before when the people gathered together at the Tower of Babel. And in chapter 11, verse four, rather than God saying, I will make your name great, they gather together and say, let us make a name for ourselves. Let us make our name great. In direct contrast, in the next chapter, God shows up and says, I will make your name great. Not you doing it, but I will come and I will bless you. I will make your name great. The word blessing occurs five times in these short verses. It's a stark contrast with Genesis 1 through 11, which as only the, book, the Bible would have it, the word curse occurs five times after sin enters the world in Genesis 3 through 11. God is saying all of the sin that has come into the world, all of the curses, I will start to right those wrongs through Abraham and those who come after him. A blessing he calls to him, that then he will bless others. We're gonna see this theme throughout the life of Abraham. Whenever people are close to him and bless him, they will be blessed. And when they dishonor him, they will be cursed. And then there's that last line in verse three, and in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Ultimate worldwide blessing in Abraham. This is ultimately pointing, believe it or not, to Jesus. That in Abraham, all of the world will be blessed. How? Because of the one who will come from Abraham, meaning Jesus. We see this specifically in Galatians chapter three, where it says this in Galatians 3, 26 to 29. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. By promising Abraham that the whole world will be blessed through him, this is ultimately a promise that we are a part of because of Jesus. And in Jesus, we too are recipients of this same promise, this same blessing that was given to Abraham because of what Jesus has done. And so God calls Abraham to go. He calls him to walk in obedience. And then he gives him these amazing blessings, these amazing promises to go with him. So I'd imagine for Abraham that these promises were like the anchor in the waves of his life. They were the North Star that he looked to in his darkness. Because we're going to look and see that Abraham's life was not just up and to the right. It wasn't one of steady progression of walking with Jesus. And that's true for each and every one of us, isn't it? That in our lives, I wish you could say that following Jesus is just really easy and it's just nice, smooth thing that we just see growth day after day after day after day, but it's not like that at all. And we go through seasons of difficulty. We go through seasons where we don't see God at work, where we wonder where God is, what he's called us to, where we, like I'm sure Abraham had seasons, we wonder if God is going to do what he says he will do. And so what can we do in those seasons? We too should learn to hold on to the promises of God in those seasons. The Abraham had these promises to hold on to. So what promises has God given us as followers of Jesus that we can hold on to? 
Maybe we need to be reminded today of the promise that God will never leave you. He will never forsake you. The promise that God's mercy for you is new every morning. The promise of forgiveness of sin in your life, regardless of what happened yesterday. The promise of his presence with us. The promise that his love for you never changes. We could keep going on and on and on. That we need to be people who know the promises of God and hold firm to those promises when the time comes, when we need to. And that's the motivation for following after God, the promises that he has made to us. So God calls Abraham. He calls him to go. Verse four. So Abraham went as the Lord had told him and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarah, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they sent out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Morah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there, he moved to the hill country with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abraham journeyed on still going toward the Negev. The third characteristic of, of obedience that we see in this passage, excuse me, is obedience is an exercise of trust. Obedience is an exercise of trust. Meaning that in obedience, we walk in trust, not yet seeing the fulfillment of what God has done, but worshiping him just the same, even when we don't know how God will accomplish his purposes. This journey from Haran down into the land would have been another 400 mile journey. Aram's now a thousand miles from what used to be home. Picture, picture not just like two or three people walking through the desert, but this is a caravan of dozens, possibly hundreds of people as it talks about his households and all of the people that were with him as they go. And they enter into the lands, this land, and God shows up, right? And reaffirms this promise to your offspring, says to a 75-year-old man who has no kids. To your offspring, I will give this land, the land that's full of people, full of people already. To your offspring, I will give this land. And in response to that, Abraham goes not just once, but twice and builds an altar, an expression of worship to the Lord. I love here in talking about Shechem, we have these details that are so unique that he doesn't just go anywhere, but he goes to this, this tree, the Oak of Morah. This is a pagan worship site in the land where pagan gods were once worshiped. And Abraham goes into the midst of the darkness, into the midst of where the pagan worship site was, and there, in the midst of it, sets up an altar to God, worships God there. He doesn't just go anywhere. He goes right into the middle of the darkness and declares, I don't see it yet, but this is where God is to be worshiped. This is the land of where God will be. It's as if Abraham is raising a flag and staking it in the ground and, and claiming it for God, that God will be worshiped here. But it, the story's not done, right? It's not Abraham's land. He doesn't have kids, yet he still worships God right there. It reminds me of, of a famous picture from the battle of, of Iwo Jima. I believe we have the picture. Oh, do we have it? Yes, there we go, all right? The famous, famous picture, 
right from the battles in the Pacific and World War II. And what you may not realize about this picture, you probably have seen it before, it's one of the most famous pictures in American history, is that it wasn't done at the end of the battle. It was done in the middle or even the beginning because three of the six men raising the flag lost their life on this island actually fighting. It was declared at the beginning, in the middle of the battle, that they were raising a flag. This is where our land is. This is for us. They were declaring it even though they didn't see the win yet. And Abram in his life was in the midst. He was right at the beginning of the battle. He didn't know how God would have the story closed. He had no idea how he was going to receive the promises, yet he worshiped God right there. He says, I don't know how, I don't know when, but I trust you right here. See, sometimes the greatest act of obedience that you and I can have is simply to worship God right where we are. Not in the future, not to worship God after he's solved all the problems we're in the midst of, not after he's helped us get through this difficult season that we find ourselves in, but sometimes the greatest act of obedience is to worship God right where we are, right where he's placed us in the midst of the darkness. You may not know a man, his story, and the name is Horatio Spafford. He lived in the 1800s in Chicago. He lost all of his business in the great Chicago fire and his son died in it as well. A few years later, he was going to the UK, to Great Britain, to help D.L. Moody with his evangelistic campaigns. He had to wait, delay his trip to help business stuff since he had lost everything. So he sent his wife and their four daughters on amongst ahead of them. When several days later, he got the news back from his wife that that boat had been shipwrecked and all four of their daughters had died and only his wife had gotten out alive. It was then he took a boat across the Atlantic Ocean and when he was in what they thought was the closest spot to where his daughters had died, that he penned the famous words to the song, it is well with my soul. When peace like a river attendeth my way or when sorrows like sea billows roll, Whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well with my soul. Can you imagine how hard it was to worship in that moment? Yet that, I think, was the greatest act of obedience that he could do. See, worship plants a flag in the middle of our hearts and says, this belongs to God. In the midst of our darkness, in the midst of our anxiety, in the midst of the grief, the hurt, the pain, and the loss, not when it's done, but right in the midst of it, that sometimes the greatest act of obedience that we have is simply to worship. Say, God, I don't know how, I don't know when, but I trust you right here today. In response to these gracious, this gracious call that God had to Abram, these promises that he made him, Abraham responded in obedience. And in response to the grace that God has given us in Jesus, the promises that we have in Jesus, the response from our lives should be ones of obedience as well. At the previous church that I was at, I knew a man there, his name was George. George knew, George was in his early 70s. He was a retired school teacher. He had gotten divorced earlier in life, had no kids, no family, and he poured himself out into serving at our church. If there was a need, he was always the first one to help out. In 2010, after hearing about the horrible earthquake that happened in Haiti, you may remember all the devastation and the loss, he said, why can't I go? And so at 74 years old, George became a missionary and went to Haiti. He felt that that's what God wanted him to do. 
His service was not something bright and upfront. He served as the mail clerk in one of the missions offices there in Haiti. He served at a local church. He led a Bible study. And I wish I could tell you that George's life was one of decades of influence after that, but just three years after arriving in Haiti, he was actually brutally murdered by a man that he was ministering to in a Bible study there in Haiti. And I'll never forget at his funeral, hundreds of people gathering together. What was George remembered for? What was he remembered for? He was remembered that when God called him to do something, George answered in obedience. He answered in obedience and it cost him even his life. May it be said of us, what are we known for? Now, God's probably not calling you to go to another country today, but God is calling each of us into obedience and something in our lives. Are we people of obedience? Is that what we will be known for? That when God leads us, when God calls us, that we answer with joy and enthusiasm response to his grace and his promises that we say yes and walk into what he has for us. I don't know where you are this morning. I don't know what God has for you today, but I do know that God calls all of us to obedience. So may we walk in that today. God, we thank you. We thank you for the grace that has so undeservedly been poured out into our lives, just like it was for Abraham. God, it's not because we are deserving, but because you are a gracious God. God, sometimes obedience is simple, but sometimes it is so difficult and challenging. So God, I pray that whatever it is that each and every one of us are facing this morning, God, that we would respond in obedience. God, that we would stop making excuses that we would stop postponing what you've called us to do. But that today we would worship. Today we would follow. Today we would live lives of obedience to what you've called us to do. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. Continue the conversation with us on social media. Never miss a message and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes.